Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, December 11th, 2014, and we are on page 22, the last paragraph beginning, we know that while the alcoholic. Um, today we are reading, oh, today's readers are Anita J. on the 12 Steps, Santa H. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Kim G., Rachel N. M., and Charles H. The reference number for yesterday, December 10th, is 7098. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anita J. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Kathy. This is Anita J., a recovered compulsive overeater living in Massachusetts and very grateful. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anita. I will now ask Santa H. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. My name is Santa H., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from New Jersey. These are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeaters who still suffers. Six, an OA group will never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principle before personality. I pass. Thank you, Santa H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 22, the last paragraph. I will now ask Kim G. to begin reading. Thanks, Kathy. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. 
We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever in his system, something happens both bodily and mentally, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if a friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on the last bender, the chances are he will offer you any of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of a man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of, any, of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. And good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is incredible. This, this is the key to freedom. I have to recognize what I suffer from. You know, that first paragraph is all about the allergy of the body, and that's a bad problem. But that first sentence in that second paragraph, these observations would be academic and pointless. What observations? The observations of the allergy would be irrelevant if I never took the first drink. So my insanity is not in the allergy. My insanity is in the mind that makes the decision to take the first drink with the knowledge that I have the allergy. So I have to use a simple analogy. Let's say that I have a severe reaction to poison ivy, but I love to hike. So what I do is I do my research and I find out what protective gear I can wear and make sure all parts of my body that would be hit by the, this poison ivy are being covered. I know what poison ivy looks like. I know the most likely spots of poison ivy are going to be on my hike. And I go on these hikes and I look at the beautiful sun and I hear the birds singing and I look at the beautiful flowers and I enjoy my hike with the pure knowledge that I know I have to avoid this poison ivy. No insanity there. But what if I have that extreme allergy to poison ivy, I take all the protective gear, but then my mind locks in on the idea that, look at that poison ivy, look at that poison ivy, look at that poison ivy, and I don't notice the birds singing, and I can't see the sunshine, and I don't notice the flowers. And finally, that overwhelming thought about the poison ivy is so overwhelming that what I do is I strip down to my underwear, and I jump in the poison ivy, and I roll all over it. People would think I was insane, right? But doesn't that correlate with what I do? I, I know these foods bother me. They have burnt me over and over and over again. And yet my mind locks in on the idea that this time will be different. I can't resist it. The food is too strong. So just to put my own experience in this, if it really was just an allergy, if the only thing I had to worry about was my allergic reaction to many things I was taught in diet programs and many things that I was taught in the room to know that I would work. If it was only about the allergies, then how it would work. I'd just have to avoid being hungry and really lonely tired. I could avoid people, places, and things. I could keep it green. I could make the decision every morning to eat no matter, don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. I could simply say, remember my last binge, and I would be able to stay abstinent. My main problem is in my mind. I am unable to bring those rational thoughts into a mind that is insane. So in my experience, treating a two-fold disease with the one-fold solution of abstinence 
is like putting a band-aid on a gunshot wound. It is insufficient. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who would like to share what was read? Larry. Karen. Charles H. from New York. Okay, so we have Larry, Karen, and Charles H. Go ahead, Larry K. Thanks, Kathy K. Uh, Larry, <laughs> Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Thanks for your service, Kathy. Um, so uh, we know that while an alcoholic keeps away from a drink, you know he reacts much like like other men. And um, you know we know we have this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And I think of my daughter. You know she does not have an obsession of the mind, but she has a deadly allergy to peanuts. Um, my daughter is 19. She, we found out that she had an allergy to peanuts when she was about one and she was exposed to peanut butter. And, you know, over the years, and I give a lot of credit to my ex-wife, wonderful mother, she, um, both of us, you know, we've kind of, um, you know, uh, trained her, if you will, to, you know, to understand that she has this peanut allergy and she has to stay away from it over the years, um, you know, as she's gotten older, she's carried an EpiPen with her. And unfortunately, there were two times that she was accidentally exposed uh, to peanuts. And with her, it's not just, you know, peanuts. It's peanut, you know, any little bit of, um, you know, uh, of that substance. I mean, it could, it could be something that doesn't even appear in the ingredients. But if there's a trace amounts, you know, if there's cross contamination. So one time she was at a theater camp, right? She's about uh, 12 or 13. And, uh, you know, we do all the preparation and all that. But nonetheless, there was something that and she was, you know, she asked, you know, is there any sort of peanuts in this whatsoever? And she learns to read the ingredients, not to trust and so forth. And, and she was pretty sure that it wasn't in this particular item that she was having there. But Lo and behold, there was, and she began to go into anaphylactic shock. Now, um, you know, we they took her to the hospital. They gave her the the uh, used the EpiPen, and uh, and she, you know when they do that, it's like a miracle. It's a miracle, you know. And uh, she's fine. She still has to go to the hospital, which she did, and they they check her out, and they sent her back within a couple hours to the theater camp. She went from dying, really practically to, uh, you know, to being okay. Now, if she had an obsession of the mind like we do, see, she had an adverse reaction that's more sudden than mine. Mine's suicide on the layaway plan, right? But, um, but, but if she had an obsession of the mind, she would get back to the theater camp and she would just be searching and, and frantic looking for more peanuts. So that's the difference between what we have. And thank God we understand the obsession of the mind is, you know, it's between my ears. And that's what this, this uh, program uh, changes for us. We were brought into a new relationship with our higher power that extracts that obsession of mind. That's what I have today. And thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Um, Karen, please go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Great. Hi, my name is Karen T. from Louisiana. And thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Um, this really gets to me, you know, the unreasonableness of us. We cannot seem to bring into our mind with sufficient force the consequences that happen if we pick up our trigger foods again. 
And um, this last sentence, if you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. I was so baffled. I, I, before coming into OA, I really believed in my reasoning. I was a very logical person. I would have a goal and I'd set out and I would go um, try and get that goal. And that worked for me, except when the goal was to lose weight and control my eating. And um, here are the lengths that I went to uh, in my reasoning. I um, I was in college right before coming into OA, and I moved off campus because I thought the problem was the dining halls. And I was on a sports team, and I dropped off the sports team because I was unable to... Uh, my willpower around the food was not working. So I figured, well, I needed more to spend more time and effort on dieting. So I dropped off my sports team um, so that I could uh, diet and study because that was the whole reason I was at college, right, to study. And so I dropped off my sports team. Very reasonable that I needed more time and effort. And um, my, my binging got worse. And my weight went up. And um, uh, so I would bring to my attention this fallacious, this false, this wrong reasoning. And I would just be irritated about it. What was wrong? You know, it says this is cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. And I could not understand why I could not stay abstinent or diet or lose weight, I would just go back to the food and back to the food and back to the food. And so it was a terrible cycle, like it says in the beginning passage. And so that's what I can't remember on my own, and that's why I have to have a spiritual experience, a higher power, and work the steps. Thank you for listening. With that, I pass. Thank you, Karen T. And Charles H., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy Kathy, Kathy for your service. Um, good morning, uh, visionaries. My name is Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. To me, that's white knuckle abstinence. I, I can't be doing that. Um, great analogy I heard from here is like staying abstinent without doing step work is like holding my, my, my holding my breath on the water. Can't do that. I'm going to drown. I can't do it. Um, I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't do that. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Oh, that's so good. I want to go back to yesterday because I listened to the recording. Why, why does he behave like this? Why? Because I because I wanted to. And it says a hundred. Uh, he would offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Yeah, self will times a hundred. They, they go my hundred alibis. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the headache. Yeah, I'll keep hitting myself because I think um my head will be able to take it this time. And I just want to I just want to um say a quote from the great Nelson Mandela. As I walked out the door towards my freedom. I knew that if I did not leave all the anger, hatred, 
bitterness behind that I would still be in prison. And I want to take that analogy and, and, and utilize it um, with, with the alcoholic that keeps away from a drink for months and years. He reacts just like other men. I don't want to react like other men. I want to be free. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm talking about like all those resentments and all those, or, you know, all those the offenses that 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 people do to me and I do to people. You know, um, this is this is why I go. This is why you know, like, you know, yesterday in New York was like like a, a stormy day and snow and all these excuses and all that. But we, you know. We got together with some men. We, we we made a meeting. We talked about. It. I see my bloodline, my my grand sponsor, my sponsor, my sponsees, and we got together, and um and we do this together. You know, we men need to stick together in this program, man. Or I will, I'll be like I'll be like the the guy that keeps that that keeps away for a while, keeps away from the binge food for a while, but I'll react like other men, and then eventually. Eventually, I'll be back in prison. Like this is this is freedom right here. But you know, God bless you guys. They always say freedom ain't free, right? It, 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 it's a great cost, but it's it, it's worth it. It is so worth it. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to spite knuckle this no more, man. And you know, I'm telling you, Monday I had a, 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 a I was in spiritual prison Monday, and it felt like it felt like it felt like hell. So that's why that's why I realized that the main problem of the alcoholic me um centers in my mind. I need to be free from from all chains. And and, and you know <laughs> the enemy will attack my mind. And once he can attack my mind, my body is right there. My body is right there. So, yeah, I, I'll laugh it off even in pain. I'll laugh it off. I'll be like, yeah, it's all right, you know, and, 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 and you know, jump not to jump the gun, but page 24 describes all that, the fact that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscured, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower, practically non we are unable at certain times to bring into conscious with sufficient force of memory of that binge, of the humiliation from that binge. So we're going to, I let, oops, I let the cat out the bag, but come on. Somebody wants to get free today. Somebody needs some freedom today. So you know what? That's why I'm in this every single day. Freedom ain't free, but it's so worth it. With that, I'm going to pass. My name is Charles, a recovered visionary just for today. Thank you, Charles H. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? This is Bella. Can I share? Good morning, my name is Bella G and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. 
Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. Wow, yes, it's such an We lost you, Bella. Press star one to unmute. Thank you, I am sorry. Um, It's such an empowering sentence. Uh, The main problem is in the mind. And yes, before the program, I knew that it's in my mind, but I didn't know what to do with this. I knew that I am eating because I am sad, because I am happy, because I am excited, because I am angry, because I always had the reason, but I didn't know what to do with this. Okay, so what if I am angry? So why I am running to the food? I don't know. I didn't know the answer. I didn't. I think, I don't know, maybe I didn't care to find the answer. I just was blaming and judging myself. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program and I have the tools. And the tools are the 12 steps that I put. I am not choking with my feelings. I am not choking with my question. I have, um, I have other ideas what to put in my mind. I don't stay, okay, I am now angry, so I will run in the food. Now I have something else in my mind. Okay, Bella, you are angry. No problem. It doesn't mean that you are bad. It doesn't mean nothing. It means one thing. It means that I am human, and God gave me the feelings. And now I just pose. I learn to pose and to say, okay, so... Let's check why I feel this way. And I, 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 I don't have the fear to work with my mind, to find out what is in my mind, so I don't have to run to the food. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Uh, Renata, please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. Hi, everyone. This is Renata G. in New York, recovered compulsive overeater. I want to focus on the allergy of the body. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in in a bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. Um, You know, of course, the great aspect of my disease is the obsession of the mind, and the only way to be free of that a day at a time is by working the steps. But there are a lot of people that I talk to that are not clear on what their alcohol is. You know, I know for me, when I started working the steps, I still had ingredients in my food plan that were highly triggering for me. I was still engaging in a lot of compulsive behaviors, and so I couldn't stay abstinent. And... uh you know, there are a lot of people that I talk to, they, they start doing the work, they, they want to do the work, they start the steps, but staying abstinent is such a struggle because, they're, you know, little by little, every day triggering that allergy of the body. And so, like, I know for me when I was still ingesting substances that I didn't know were triggers for me, um... You know, food would call to me every day. Everything I looked at, I wanted to eat it. 
And, uh, you know, after I became really honest and really cleaned up my food plan, then the allergy of the body wasn't a problem anymore. And I was able to, you know, then go through with the steps and uh, take care of the obsession of the mind. So, you know, I think it's very important that everyone is very clear on what is your alcohol. Um, And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata G. Sharon H., please go ahead. Sharon, press star one to unmute. Sharon, are you there? Okay, we'll go on to Raquel, and we'll catch Sharon when she comes back. Go ahead, Raquel. Hello. Can you hear me now, Kathy? Yes, I can hear you. Go ahead. I I, I realize now that um, the unmuting does not continue. It just mutes itself. Uh, so I'm sorry I took your time unmuting again. Uh, thank you, Kathy, for your service and all my dear, dear friends out there. Such good things are said. This is so important. I many times feel there's a paragraph that we could stay on for a couple of weeks because it is the crux of the matter um, that 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 the, the observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. Uh, the last person shared about how finding out what's my alcohol for the first few years in, in OA, from 79 till about 83, I was just going around and asking everybody to help me figure out what my alcohol is. And... Um, it is sad to note that uh, most of my friends in OA, including the founder, have not figured it out until 1999. I have her speech on that. Um, and I, um, but, but my alcohol, when I finally figured out I have now, thank goodness tomorrow will be six years if God helps me go through these 24 hours. And it seems like, like he is not about to resign from helping me, but this brings us back to the to that good question yesterday. Somebody said that they already read the book a hundred times and and they are baffled about the sentence that the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. But here it is. Here it is. It's because of that quirk that that. Mm, Strange mental twist. It's it's built that way. We we are wired that way into the addiction that I cannot differentiate, and it looks to me very real that I can touch these things, I can ingest these things, and then tomorrow I'll be abstinent again. And it, it says in the next paragraph, once in a while he may tell the truth. The truth, the truth eludes me. If I will put this stuff in my mouth. I have the chance of a snowball, you know where, to try and see truth. I will see that I just want more of the stuff, and and tomorrow I'll be perfectly abstinent. And that's that's how it works. You cannot, like in chess, you touch that one tool and you're going. It's like an emotion. But therefore, that it centers in the mind is so clear, and that the sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. 
and that we need each other. And I'm so grateful that you are there. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Raquel. Alice, please go ahead. Good morning. This is Alice, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I tell you, all this talk about poison ivy and peanut butter and everything has gotten me pretty itchy here. So, um, I, you know, and it's making me, um, I draw an analogy here for myself. You know, it's where it says on page 23, um, if you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of 100 alibis. And my, my, I didn't have an alibi. My answer, and just out of confusion and honesty, was that, that um, I wanted to eat. I needed to scratch the itch, you know. Um, and I, I too, am um, severely allergic to poison ivy and had a horrible case of it a few years ago, and it led to all kinds of consequences. And I, when I had my arms covered with all these horrific red bumps and um and I knew, I knew that if I scratched, I mean, I was in, I was, I was going out of my mind. I almost thought I needed to commit myself. I, I, I knew that if I scratched, it would itch worse after than if I didn't scratch. But while I scratched, it would feel euphoric. And it was that that I was always searching after. It's like, I knew what the consequences was, but I wasn't living in that, in that consequence yet. I needed relief from the itching. I need a relief from that insane, phenomenal craving. Um, you know, that's that's the insanity I had with the food, very much like poison ivy. I, you know, the cravings were like a torturing itch. I wanted instant relief. You know, and I, and uh, you know, I wasn't willing, or I just I wasn't capable before recovery of not scratching, because I had no tools, I had no source of strength outside of myself, and I had nothing in myself to keep me to keep me from not scratching, you know. And I just thank goodness today, you know, I'm starting to develop those sources. You know, I I can accept today I can accept the subtle itching that I feel around food. I I'm recovered, but I I am a food addict. Um, you know, I can accept my powerlessness over the food and the fact that I'll always be a food addict. And before, I was just incapable, incapable of not scratching, you know, incapable of not satisfying that phenomenal food craving. There was just no other way I could find relief except scratching, which meant for me binging on huge amounts and puking. And um, I'm just so glad that today I'm learning how to turn away from those thoughts and turn toward my inner strength, which is just growing, and the strength I get from others. You know, I have tools today. I have I can go to principles and say, oh, my God, I need so much courage. I need integrity. I need self-discipline. and I need to be responsible for my recovery in this moment. You know, what can I turn to? Who can I turn to? Um, who can I, you know, think of right now that, that I know is, is also courageous and in, in doing this with me? And um, I pass. But to, glad to not be scratching the itch with all of you today. Thank uh, you, Alice. Okay. Um, and just a gentle reminder that we stay within the three-minute time frame. Uh, Stacy, would you like to share next? Good morning. Kathy, um, this is Sharon H. I got messed up. Okay, Sharon, I'll come back to you right after Stacy. 
Thank you very much. Go ahead, Stacey. Thanks, Kathy. Um, my name is Stacy W. from Wisconsin. And um, sharing um, on the line isn't my favorite thing to do, but um, I felt compelled to share this morning, and I'm desperate to not go back to where I've been the past couple of months. Um, so I, I just felt I needed to share what, um, and in relation to what we read this morning, um, these observations, and then I have written in my book about the physical craving, craving are important, but would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, therefore, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind um, I also have written in my book that from here and through through page 43 is about the mental obsession. It's everything that happens before we take the first bite. And I can tell you I have suffered tremendously the past um, six months from this experience. I've um, now come out again and I'm in, um, experiencing a recovered state. I, I can feel... God, um, the channel is clear right now, but I can tell you um, I was recovered. I st- a year ago, I stopped uh, practicing 10 and 11. Uh, tw- well, I was practicing 12, but I was relying solely on 12. I stopped practicing 10 and 11. Um, I got blocked up, and the madness and the, um, the mental obsession got so torturous um, I had no choice. I had to, I had to pick up. I um, so this the the main problem centered in his mind is so apparent to me and so fatal. Um, just coupled. I'm sorry. The double whammy is so clear to me because if I am not treating my mental, my mind, my spirit, I have no choice. I have to get that effect. I need to feel better. And then I pick up, and then the mental obsession kicks in. And for me, what I've learned is within 24 hours, I want to kill myself. That's my disease. And the crazy part is, is I did that over and over the past couple of months. I'd want to kill myself. I'd feel better a few days later. But the, um, then all of a sudden, my mind would kick in again because I hadn't treated the spiritual sickness yet. So then my mind would tell me I needed to feel better. I'd pick up, I'd want to kill myself, and I was in this madness. And this is after a recovered state. This is after I had gone through. So I'm just so grateful to be back um, with a clear channel right now. Um, I'm so grateful for you guys. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Stacy. What is the first initial of your last name? W. Okay, thank you, Stacy W. Okay, Sharon A., your turn. Thank you, Kathy. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This is Sharon A. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And I just wanted to uh, zero in on this, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. And if you ask him why he started on that last fender, the chances are he will offer you any one of 100 alibis. Sometimes they seem plausible, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. And I'm just so grateful to be here today and be abstinent. And as a result of um, God just showing me so clearly when I began in July of 2012 
that I truly did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that was the, that was the part that was missing for me. And, um, you know, I can't even explain, I can't even explain it. I only know that today I believe to the core of my being that I do have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and the mind continues on. So I need a higher power. I need a God that can continue, continue through the process of these steps to, um, uh, grow me spiritually, uh, strong muscles so that I can recover mentally and physically from this disease. And I have been so grateful to hear what I needed to hear that I did not or chose not to. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But today, by God's grace, I am recovered. I take very seriously now living in steps 10, 11, and 12. I did not used to do that in regards to this uh, issue because I, I believed a lie. I just kept thinking if I could find the right diet and do this and do that. So I was still trying to do it in my own strength, and it doesn't work. What it says in the big book, this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and half measures avail us nothing. So I'm just so grateful to be um, a part of this group. I am so grateful for following this book and following the directions specifically like they're laid out in the book and it has freed me from this bondage that I struggled with for so many years to being able to stay stopped from this compulsive overeating. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Sharon H. And Vasa, you'll be our last chair on this paragraph. Okay, thank you. Good morning, Kathy, and thank you for your service, and thank you for all the, everybody that's there this morning. I'm, I'm getting so much from every one of you. And, I, of course, I'm Vasa, recover Compulsive Ovita, calling from uh, Florida. And I was that hopeless, I had that, I had that, that hopeless state of mind and body from, you know, again, by the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous and, um, you know, my sponsor that led me to the big books uh, in 1986, she shared her experience and her story, and I shared it with her, and she had been in recovery for a couple of years. And she, um, you know, again, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired to control the food over the years. And I liked the effects. I like the effects of the sugar. You know, it made me feel good, you know. And but I stuffed all the feelings with the food, you know. And uh, it wasn't working anymore. I was blowing up, and it was making me sick. No matter how much I ate, the more I ate, the more I want. I got sicker, and I wanted to eat some more. I mean, that's the insanity of this disease. So I didn't, I, I didn't know anything about allergy till I, she said that to me, and then I, I started reading the book, The Doctor's Opinion, and the mental obsession of the mind. It made some sense. I said, wow. It also terrified me. I said, wow, I have a disease. If I don't do something about it, I'm going to die. And I was on the way dying anyways, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And she reassured me. She said, Vasa, you need to find a power greater than yourself to help you. She said, that's what I had to do. That's what I needed to do, to surrender to God and the program 
and you're going to get the help there. I trust me, really trust me. And I was sold because there was no place, nowhere to go anymore. This was my last stop, you know. Yes, I tried to find a solution for 20 years of my life. Off and on, off and on, trying here, trying there. Nothing worked, only temporary, temporarily. I could never put it down for good. So, again, I'm just so grateful to be back at the Vision for You. I, didn't, I never took off from Overeaters Anonymous, but I did branch out for a little bit somewhere else, and the heart was pulling me to come back here. So I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, uh, Vasa O. And now I'm going to ask Rachel N.M. to read the next paragraph. Good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? Yeah, if you could raise your volume a little, that would help. Okay, this is Rachel N.M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from Ohio. Very grateful to be here this morning. Once in a while he may tell the truth, and the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took the first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow... Someday they will beat the game, but often they suspect they are down for the count. Wow, I relate with this so much. I also was very baffled, and I was I was so baffled and desperate that even though I had a a very promising and happy life, um, I. I struggle with thoughts of suicide, and I did get desperate enough to tell the truth to my sister, but even then I could hardly be honest. Um, I I certainly felt like I was down for the count. My sister and I prayed together about it. The people I lived with, the lady, and I prayed together about it, although I was never completely honest with her. I believed God's promises that he could change me and answer my prayers, but yet it seemed as if he could not. Finally, a minister that I went to gave me the number of a recovered anorexic. At my first conversation with her, I was completely honest because it was just completely different to talk to someone who understood. No shame or a little shame. Um, And it was the first time I heard about giving up the power, and, and I don't even remember if she told me about the allergy on the first conversation, but, but like some of you have said, it just made sense. Um, God indeed has answered my prayers now, and I am recovered. I, I praise God for that. My problem was selfishness, self-seeking, and fear were blocking the power of God. The problem wasn't with God. The problem was with me. As long as I want to be the star of the show, God let me try. But I praise his name when I was willing to give up the food and the scale and turn my embarrassing life over to God, every bit of it. I've been delivered, and and like some other people say on here, I'm nothing special. Anyone can be 
anyone can be recovered. And I thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Rachel M. N. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Sarah. Leah. Okay, we'll have Sarah. Sarah and Leah, and who is the third? Kristen. Okay, Sally, if there's time. Kristen, you'll have to wait until the after meeting because um, we only have a few minutes left. Go ahead, Sarah W. Uh, good morning, Kathy Kay. Thank you for your service, and good morning, Vision, for you, family. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. My name is Sarah W. from Iowa. Um, you know, the thing that keeps going through my mind is that, you know, I just really couldn't deal with life on life's terms. You know, I didn't know how to respond to life. I, the way I responded to life was insane. And, you know, you know, going from one crazy behavior to the next. And, um, you know, the whole thing is about, you know, wanting my way and wanting things to work my way. And yet when they work my way, I would sabotage. So, you know, I, you know, I just think of a dry drunk and, you know, for, for so many years I would lose weight with like a Weight Watchers or with other types of programs, I could never keep the weight off. And you know, I always went back to the, to the, to the food. My life was always, you know, in some kind of a turmoil. Um, and I was always demanding from others and demanding from myself. And, you know, this really does provide us with a way to live that we can be free of the obsession, that we no longer want the food, and that we can live a life where people think that, you know, we're decent human beings and we feel we are. You know, we, we get connected with a higher power, we get connected with, with other people and we finally can feel some sense of integrity in our own selves and what a beautiful way to live. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Leah, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Kathy K. Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Once in a while, he may tell the truth, and the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took the first, that first drink than you have. Um, you know, <laughs> this disease was beating me uh, into a pulp. The madness and the mayhem uh, continued to increase, and I would cry real tears at night, and I, you know, would, would <laughs> think, you know, what is wrong with me? Why do I eat like this? Why can I not stop? I mean, I had stopped thousands of times. Why could I not stay stopped? And I would vow at night, things are going to change. I'm going to change. You know, I'm, I promise that's going to be it. That's going to be my last binge. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. This is too painful. You know, hell is getting hotter by the minute. I'm not stupid. I'm pretty bright. I have a decent memory. But the reality is, that for some strange reason, left to my own devices and resources, I could not remember what compulsive overeating was doing to me. All I was focused in on was what it was doing for me. And I could not remember the suffering of the night before. It was as if my pain had no memory. You know, because when I said I was not going to act like that anymore, when I said I wasn't going to eat like that anymore, lie like that anymore, sit in a car in a dark parking lot and binge my brains out until my eyeballs hurt, I meant it. And then I ate again, and again, and again, and again, and this is what it means to be a real compulsive overeater. 
I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Because what was wrong with my mind? Why was I not responding to humiliation? Why was I not learning from the consequences of my behavior? You know, uh, I would continue to repeat this behavior, expecting different results and not learning from my experience. And there was no other facet of my life that was like that. I was not connecting the dots. You know, and my big book taught me that I have a defective mind, that I was suffering from an obsession where one idea would enter my consciousness and dominate it in such a way that all other ideas, to the contrary, were shoved aside. And the obsession became the only reality. And fully understanding who and what I was, that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, that realization brought me to the fact that I was doomed. And I was doomed not because of the allergy of the body, but because of my mental obsession. And once I fully understood the education that this big book was offering me, I began to realize that the only solution that would ever work for someone like me was a solution that was going to get rid of that mental obsession. And I knew from almost two decades of, of experience in the illness that I was not going to be able to do it by myself because I could not stop the thinking that sends me back. And that is the necessity and the urgency of these 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And Sally A., you'll be our last share today. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm, I'm going to be brief. It says on the top of 23, it, um, that, that second paragraph, first paragraph, Sometimes these excuses make us make have a certain plausibility. And now here we are in another paragraph, and it's telling us some drinkers have excuses. So whenever I see on a page the same word being repeated in paragraph after paragraph, I know that they're trying to drive home a point that we have excuses. It reminds me right away of the jaywalker Jim, Jim playing with fire engines. No, playing with traffic. The things we play with and the idea that we play with our food, that we get, you know, we, we're risk takers, you know, like, like Bill W. Was a, he enjoyed the, the risk, the risky behavior. And I think that part of my addiction is not just the food. It's not just because I'm a compulsive person in nature. It's because I'm addicted to the risk taking, the risky behaviors. And then finally, what I wanted to say is, I wanted to draw your attention to the bottom of page 256 and the top of page 257 for those of you who haven't read this story of the man who mastered fear. And the interesting thing about this story that sort of chimes in with what we're reading today is it says here at the bottom of 256 in the fourth edition, I learned early in my AA life that I could not afford to fondle such thoughts as you might fondle a pet because this particular pet could grow into a monster. Instead, I quickly substitute one or another vivid scene from the nightmare of my later drinking. Well, you know, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting scheme of thinking that I'm going to, instead, I'm going to try to remember how crazy I was, how scared I was when I was thinking about the food. But for me, I think about my illness, my mental illness, and this allergy of my body as an, a monster that lives in my body, that lives within, that's a sleeping monster. Let 
sleeping monsters lie. I don't play with its tail. I don't tap on its nose. I don't want to wake up the monster, the allergy of my body. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot and think I'm going to walk through my day or my life like a normal person. It's not going to happen. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you, Sally. And Kristen, I hope you'll stay around to share after in the second hour. Uh, Thank you, everyone. It's now time to close our meeting. Uh, Thanks to everyone who shared and who has been here listening. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 and then say the serenity prayer. Charles H., would you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Kathy. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.